This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. There are some people that you can be around that fill your tank. When you're around them, they breathe life into you, man. When it comes to people, are you a basement person? It's all about you and your problems and your struggles. Or are you a balcony person? It's all about others and how you can energize and encourage and enable people to fulfill their greatest potential in Christ. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Hey there, welcome to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron. We'll continue in our series from the book of Acts, and Pastor Jeff is going to encourage us to use our individual platforms to spread the message of God's love and mercy to those around us. From Acts chapter 9, we'll hear about God's calling on Paul and how Barnabas introduced him to the early church leaders. Here's Pastor Jeff, starting in Acts chapter 9. We've been in this series in the book of Acts, and we've talked uh, specifically about the impact the early church had on society, so much so that by the third century, you've got the Christians totally impacting society so that the entire Roman Empire, powerful empire, suddenly is transformed socially, politically, even philosophically by these uneducated fishermen as they preach the good news of the gospel. But what we're going to do this weekend, I feel like we've been dealing with some pretty heavy stuff. I want to I talk to you about something that I think may be the most important uh, contribution to your life that could make your life very special and very abundant that Jesus said he came to bring the abundant life. Now, in order to take you on this little journey, and I'll get through some passages in Acts, a uh, guy comes home one day from golf. His wife meets him at the door and says, you know, I, I, I remember that when we first moved here, you played a lot of golf with Bob, but I noticed you don't play golf with Bob anymore. It's been a while. And he looked to his wife and he said, well, would you want to play with somebody who constantly cheats? Somebody who constantly moves his ball out of the rough and lies about his score? And she goes, well, no, I wouldn't. And he said, well, neither did Bob. <laughs> we, we are flawed people. This, is, this comes uh, into play, especially in friendship, because all of us in the room, we're all flawed. We all have issues in our lives, and it somehow makes it difficult to get along with others. Uh, I have some serious flaws, uh, one of which is I don't like going to the gas station. I hate filling the car up with gas, so I will let the hand, the gauge, get past the empty line. You can actually see the empty line, and because I'm the eternal optimist, I just think that I can run on fumes for a long, long time. I have run out of gas so many times, it's downright scary. Uh, you'd think I'd learn. Last week, I picked up my in-laws from Ontario Airport, 
and we don't like paying for the parking, so I'll keep driving the car around until Robin gets the in-laws and the luggage, and then I'll meet him on the curb. And uh, I just, I, I thought, you know, I, I've got, I can get it. I can get down there and back, but as I had to keep going around, I knew I was gonna run out of gas. And I think, why did I do, why didn't I just fill the car up with gas? And I don't know why. I just don't like to go to the gas station. When Robin and I dated, we were the same way. You know, you don't want to run out of gas when you're on a date, man. It does impress a girl. It does not impress her at all. And yet I ran out of gas probably nine or ten times, which shows that it was a mercy marriage. It, it really was. Uh, it's not just my gas tank, though. When we lived in uh, New Zealand, New Zealand Kiwis loved to barbecue. And so we had a propane gas tank. And I hated filling that thing up. I hated unhooking it and then taking it down and you trade and then you bring it, you got to hook it. So I would just cook until you ran out. And of course, Murphy's Law kicks in because it runs out precisely at the time you really need to barbecue something. So if Robin's really planned a, a nice party and she's depending on me to barbecue the chicken and the steak, that's always when it would run out. And of course, it would be on a Sunday when I couldn't get the propane gas tank filled again. In fact, Murphy's Law, I think, says the odds of a propane running out are directly proportionate to the importance of the event. And that's so true. It's not only propane, it's not only my car, the lawnmower. I hate taking the gas can all the way down to the gas station, filling it up, bringing it back, filling the lawnmower. Here's the thing. Cars Grills, lawnmowers are not the only things that have fuel tanks. You have them too. And let me tell you something. There are some people that you can be around that fill your tank. Man, when you're around them, they breathe life into you, man. They remind you of how good God is and how you can live up to your very best and how life can be great if you'll just make a few key decisions. And when you're with them, you find that your anxiety and depression go down, your hope and your trust and your faith go up. You love being around them, man, because they fill your tank. Gregory of Nyssa was one of the early church fathers, 4th century. He wrote a beautiful picture of this way of life. He said, at horse races, the spectators, intent on victory, shout to their favorites in the contest. From the balcony, they incite the rider to keener effort, urging the horses on while leaning forward and flailing the air with their outstretched hand instead of a whip. With that picture in mind, he says... I seem to be doing the same thing myself, most valued friend and brother, while you are competing admirably in the divine race, straining constantly for the prize of the heavenly calling, I exhort, urge, and encourage you vigorously. Gregory is basically saying, you know, here I am, I'm up in the stands, I'm watching my friend run the race and I'm cheering him on. This is your life. This is your race. God is with you. Keep running the race. You can do it. Keep the faith. Stay on course. And the reality is there's some people... Some of your friends that do that for you, man, they call you to a higher way of living. Friend up. You should always friend up. Somebody who's going to encourage you. And when you're with them, your tank just gets all full. Now, unfortunately, there's another group of people. They're difficult to deal with. They also deserve to be loved by you. They deserve your grace and mercy, true, but you've got to be very careful with them. Because when you're not looking... They will stick a hose in your tank and they'll take a deep breath and they'll start siphoning the fuel right out of you. They drain your life. They suck the energy and optimism right out of you. They are joy-challenged people. They're dream squashers, fault finders. They're like slow leaks 
in your hot air balloon. They're basement people. And they tie a rope to you. And they just pull you down until you finally get down in the dungeon with them. Because misery loves company. And if they're going to live in the basement, they want you there with them. Now, they don't necessarily mean to do this, but nevertheless, that's what they do. So I want you to say this with me. There are two types of people. There are balcony people. Balcony people. Can you say that? Balcony. Then there are basement people. Basement people. Now, what I want to do is rather than take a look at one section of Acts, we're going to take a look at one man in Acts, a guy named Barnabas, whose nickname was the son of encouragement. And I... During these narratives, I want you to keep asking yourself this question, and I'm going to remind you again and again. Number one, am I a balcony person for somebody else? And the second question, do I have a balcony person in my own life? Someone that's standing, cheering me on, saying, you can do it, encouraging me to be all I can in Christ and to live the abundant life. Part of your calling is to be a balcony person for somebody, but Another part of your calling is to allow somebody else to be a balcony person for you. And let me tell you something. I'm, it's not pop psychology, though. However, psychologists are now telling us that this has a lot to do with the quality of your life, your demeanor, your attitudes, your emotions, your relationships, your likability. Studies now show us that depression and anxiety are linked to this very simple idea. Do you have a balcony person in your life? Or are you hanging out with basement people? Now, here are some of the characteristics of a balcony person that we see in Barnabas. Number one, he was extremely generous. The Bible tells us when we first meet Barnabas in Acts 4, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So something you need to know quickly about Barnabas. He's of the Levites, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. The Levites were the assistants to the priests. They helped the priests fulfill their duties in the temple. They could be musicians, doorkeepers, cloak bearers, gardeners, whatever assistance the priests needed, the Levites. This tribe was responsible to help. Very honorable, very prestigious job. In fact, Joseph, by the way, that's his real name. Did you know that? It's changed to Barnabas later. We'll get to that in a moment. But Joseph, or Barnabas, came from a long line. His grandfather, his grandfather's grandfather, all served at the pleasure of the priest. But when we meet Joseph, or Barnabas, he's not allowed to. And the reason being is because he had not been born in Israel. He's what we call a Hellenistic Jew, an Israelite born overseas who did not grow up in the holy city of Jerusalem. And they were actually regarded as foreigners because they didn't speak the language, it was automatically assumed that they did not keep the customs of the people of God and they had been contaminated by Gentile culture. Now, the result would be Joseph or Barnabas would have had an identity crisis. You know, my mama's mama, my daddy's daddy, my granddaddy, all of them, and here I am and I can't do it. We would expect Barnabas, Joseph, to be a basement kind of guy. We expect him to say, woe is me, I've been rejected, I've been wounded by my own people, life is so bad, wah, wah, wah. My life stinks and it's not my fault. I can't determine where I'm born. I might as well give up. Strangely enough, though, Barnabas is a balcony kind of guy. He joins in the little community and he sees a need and he says, you know what? Instead of asking, what can these people do for me? I've been rejected. Please help me. Can you help me? Can you do something for me? Rather than coming to life group, all pessimistic and life draining, 
Barnabas turns the whole thing around and he sees a need and he says, you know, I got some property. I think I could sell and help these people who are poor out. In fact, Joseph, Barnabas, is the first recorded donor in this new community. And the text says that he came and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet, which is his way of saying, you know what? I don't know what to do with this. You guys know best. There's no strings attached. I'll give you the money. You don't have to build a building with my name on it. Just use it to bless people. That's what balcony people do. They see a need in somebody else's life and they rush in to meet it. They understand how greed surrenders to generosity at the point of conversion. And that's a very natural thing for balcony people. They don't need to be manipulated or coerced. They just do it because that's who they are. The Holy Spirit has so energized them, they just want to see people do well and prosper. They're little spocks. Remember, live long and prosper? Only they actually don't just say it. They get involved in action and do something to help somebody prosper. You know, one of the most influential older gentlemen in my life was a guy named Carl Harrison. And when Robin and I would come home from furlough from Africa, we would stay with them and I would work in the fields to earn my keep. And then we go to church with him on the weekend. Now, you know, I'm in my early 20s, and the preacher was so boring. Don't say anything. <laughs> and I just wanted to get out of the sermon time. I didn't mind the music, so I'd stay for the music, and then I'd start wiggling around. How can I get out of here? And Kyle Harrison would see me up on the third row, and he would come up and say, hey, come with me. And I, was, I didn't care where we were going. I just wanted to get out of sermon time. So during greeting time, I was out of there. And he would take me to an old folks' home, a senior citizen's home. And I would follow him around. It was his Sunday to give communion. And I would see him crawl up in the bed with these old people and wash their face and comb their hair and read to them and bring them little gifts. Let me tell you, that had a bigger impact on me than any sermon I've ever heard. And Kyle Harrison seemed like that he and Jesus were like best buds. I don't think I've ever met anyone other than probably my in-laws that were closer to Christ. Sometimes people will come to me and say, Pastor Jeff, why don't I feel my faith? If I can be honest, part of the reason is because there's no real action to your faith. You're still in the basement, man. You're so self-absorbed, you've not yet learned that the seed has to die before it can live. So you hoard and die rather than give and live. But balcony people... They give and live. And look what happens. The disciples look around to each other and they notice what Joseph or Barnabas does. And they say, you know, Joe, that's not an adequate name for this guy. We've got to change his name. So they change it to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, balcony boy. That's who he is. And every time he hears his name, he's thinking, yeah, that's who I am and that's who I want to be. Now, pause just a second. What name would the community of Christ followers give you? Would it be son of encouragement? Or son of something else. <laughs> Can I give you a list of basement people? Daughter of discouragement. Son of pessimism. Son of high maintenance. Or how about daughter of the siphon hose? When it comes to people, are you a basement person? It's all about you and your problems and your struggles. Or are you a balcony person? It's all about others and how you can energize and encourage and enable people to fulfill their greatest potential in Christ. Now, let me shock you just a little bit. Can you pray for me in this area? Because as I was writing this sermon, I noticed that I'm very good at it when I'm here, not so good when I'm down there. When I'm out at coffee clatch or at the golf course, sometimes I just want superficial conversation and move on. I don't really want to know about all your problems. So can you pray that I would become, 
If, if you will pray for me that I will become a better balcony person individually, then, then I'll pray for you. Deal? Deal. Now, here's the second part. We see Barnabas again in Acts chapter 9. And we find him coming alongside of a man named Saul. You remember Saul, right? Who was Saul? Bad dude. We read about his conversion in chapter 7. He terrorized Christ followers. He would actually chase them down, hunt them like wild animals, arrest them, bind them, bring them back to Jerusalem for execution. Then he had a road to Damascus experience. He met Jesus, repented, trusted Christ as his Savior. Actually, he didn't even know what all that meant yet until he's discipled by a dude named Ananias. And then after he's converted, baptized, that's what you do when you receive Christ, what happened? The Bible tells us that he set out to preach the good news of the gospel in the major cities. So he travels back to Jerusalem and tries to join the apostles. Folks, that's like Hillary Clinton showing up at Trump headquarters asking to run his re-election campaign. <laughs> so you can, imagine when, you can imagine when Paul comes back and wants to join the apostles. They're saying, yeah, right. I'm so sure we're going to let this guy in because they're terrified of him. Uh, Paul was standing there when they had killed Stephen, who was young and a vibrant preacher and had so much of life left in him. Saul had killed some of their husbands and wives and sons and daughters. And suddenly he comes up with this conversion story and they're going to let him in the inner circle. The apostles are probably asking, how on earth can we know if we can trust this guy? Chances are high that we cannot. In their minds, this is just another advanced plot by Paul to get into the inner circle to take down the ringleaders. Nobody's going to go near him with a 10-foot pole, but then somebody gets an idea. Somebody says, well, wait a minute. What if his conversion's legit? And they say, let's get Barney to go to him. Barney likes everyone. <laughs> so they send out Barnabas, and Barnabas says, no worries, I'll go. That's what balcony people do. First, balcony people are extremely generous. Second, balcony people believe a person can truly change. Barnabas believed maybe God got a hold of him. So I'll just go meet him, talk to him, and I'll tell you the scoop. I'll give you the, the, I'll give you the real story on Saul. The Bible tells us in Acts 9, Barnabas took him, Paul, or Saul, and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So Barnabas goes and learns, is witness to what God is doing, comes back, brings Saul, and then talks to the other apostles and says, let me tell you about this guy. Now think about what his testimony, Barnabas' testimony, would have meant as Saul is standing here listening to him try to convince the apostles, Saul's okay. He's had a conversion experience. Because Saul is going to become Paul and become one of the most influential men in the second half of world history. His entire life and ministry could have been thwarted right here, though, by basement people who said, no, there's no way there's a real conversion here. But Barnabas takes him in and vouches for him. And he says to the guys, guys, Paul here, Saul, has seen the risen Christ. He has been preaching fearlessly in Damascus. God is going to use him. I've seen it with my own eyes. Now, if you're Paul, Saul, and you're hearing Barnabas, who's respected in the church, talking about you like this, you're going to get confident. You're going to say, yeah, man, what he said, that's true. I have been chosen by God. I don't know why. By sheer grace and mercy, God is going to use me. But after hearing Barnabas's encouragement, man, Paul's going to be confident. He's going to go out and change the world. He's going to say, let's do this. And he does.
Now, here's what my message is to you just quickly. You gotta have somebody like that in your life, man, that you can hear talk about you like that. You gotta have a balcony person. Now, I've got a few, but one of my favorite is Clive Rahui. Some of you know who he is. He's a Maori from New Zealand. And about seven years ago, he calls me up and he says, I'm, he's been an entrepreneur all his life. He said, I'm going to sell my business and I'm coming to Los Angeles. I said, why? He goes, because God told me to and I'm going to do something very special with you. I got to tell you, I thought he was crazy. I said, how are you going to live? He goes, I don't know, by faith. So think about it. He's selling everything, which is not a lot. I'm going to sell this and I'm going to come and I think God's going to provide because I know this is what God wants me to do. And we used to meet at Coffee Clatch for coffee and he would say things like, Hey, I'm here because you don't know it, but God has called you to speak the gospel to the most remote places in the world. And I would say, okay, thanks. And I would smile and I'd say, you're nuts. And so I'd say, you're crazy. And he started to realize that I thought he was nuts. And he'd say, Jeff, I know you don't believe me, but even if you don't, I'll just wait for you to wake up. So for seven years, He's trying to make ends meet, waiting for me to wake up. He faced all kinds of obstacles, but he just wouldn't go away. He's like that old canker sore. He just keeps coming up again and again and again. No one could discourage him. He just wouldn't go away because he was convinced. He says, well, I don't work in the flesh. I work in the spirit. It doesn't matter what you say. I know why I'm here. Now, what I find interesting is that now here we are. Uh, two million people will hear the show today with Jeff Vines this weekend, two million people across the South Pacific, all because of a guy named Clive Rahurui, God had something to do with it. Now, I want to tell you something. Everybody needs a Clive Rahurui in their lives. Everybody needs to say, hey, no, I, I, God's got a call on your life. You don't know what it is, and you're blinded by all these distractions, but I know, and when you wake up, I'll be sitting right here. You need that type of person. So let me ask you the question again. Who is your balcony person? Who is standing and cheering you on to become the very best you can be? And who are you a balcony person for? Who are you cheering on so that they can become the best they can be? Now, warning. Be careful about constantly hanging around someone who's a basement person. I'm trying to help you here. Basement people have to be loved, and you do minister to them. But be very careful by surrounding yourself with basement people because they will drag you down into the basement. There's a statement that we make. Hurting people hurt people. Now, here's the problem. Churches attract hurting people they're supposed to, and we want to make you well. We're all hurting to a degree. But the more you've been hurt, the more you tend to hurt others. So how do you help a hurting person? You don't enable them even more. you got to speak the hard word. You can't just live with them, enable, and listen to them for 30 years complain about how miserable their life is because ultimately you'll become a basement person, and you won't even know it. It happens slowly. It's like the frog who boils in the water. And one day you wake up and you realize, man, I am so negative. Mike Masterson, another balcony person of mine, gave me a great illustration years ago. If you try to save a drowning person, what happens? They're going to pull you under. What do you have to do to save a drowning person? You've got to hit them in the nose and knock them out. How do you save somebody that's drowning? You've got you to get them to come to the end of themselves to realize there's an issue here to get healing or they will drag you down in the dungeon. I promise you. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff.
The other disciples trusted Paul. They embraced him and he was able to move freely throughout the known world and preach the gospel. Now, can I ask you again, who's doing that for you, man? Who's cheering you on? Who's your balcony person saying, man, get out of there. Come on, man, there's so much more for life. There's so much more for you, so much more. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.